My name is Kristen Widener, and I'm the family pastor here at New Life, and we're so glad that all of you have joined us for church this morning. If it's your first time here, welcome. Please know that we've really been praying for you, and we've been planning for you to be here, and our hope is that you feel very welcomed with us today. Before we dive into today's message, I just want to take a moment to share a little bit about my new role here at New Life. So for the last Seven years, I served here as New Life's children's pastor, and two weeks ago, Pastor Chris, who is our lead pastor, and Pastor Alex, who will be our lead pastor this upcoming January, they commissioned me into a new role of family pastor. And what that means is that Pastor Alex's current position of being the family life pastor is being split into two roles. One of those is a discipleship pastor or director who will oversee all of our small groups and things related to that. The other is the family pastor, which is my role, and I get to oversee Matt Bartlett, who runs the student ministry, and Lori Nelson, who runs the children's ministry. I also get to direct our weekly preschool program, and I get to plan family events throughout the year and different things like that. So I'm really excited to serve the families of New Life in this way and to see what God is going to do through each of your families. Amen. So today, we are in week 13 of our 21-week series called Mountain Monologues, where we are walking through Jesus' greatest teachings from the Sermon on the Mount. When we apply these teachings to our lives, we are really able to live a life that reflects Jesus' love towards others. Think about it. When we resist the temptation to lie or retaliate or hate our enemies or be lustful, our lives change radically, and so do the lives of those around us. One of the areas that I have always struggled with when I don't give God control is my anxiety. And much of my anxiety stems from the need to really want to do the right thing. And the earliest that I can remember this starting is in middle school, and it affected everything that I did. So, for example, if I didn't get an A on an assignment in school and the teacher handed me a test back, I would immediately start to ask myself questions like, how will this affect my future? Does my teacher think I'm dumb? Will I ever get a job? And then I would have to run to the bathroom to cry and panic and calm down before I could finally return to class. I'm an extrovert and I love having conversations with people, but when I was in high school, I was so concerned that I would offend someone or that someone wouldn't like me that I would go home at the end of the day and I would replay every single conversation that I had throughout the day in my mind. And then the next day, I would go to school and I would apologize to every person that I talked to just in case I offended them in any way, shape, or form. My anxiety grew as I got older and it became much harder for me to manage. When I would hear people argue or disagree, I would immediately go into a state of panic, I would start to shake, and I would quickly try to think of a way to bring peace to a situation. If I launched anything new or had a big event at night, I would stay up all night critiquing my every move, bringing myself to an anxiety attack. If I didn't get the teaching job that I prayed that I would get, or a major life plan fell through, or someone that I loved was sick, I was crippled with anxiety and it affected everything that I did. Four years ago, God healed me from that constant anxiety that I had. 
But every now and then, when I begin to doubt God's plans for my life, or I try to take control of a situation, that anxiety still creeps in from time to time. Now, the word anxiety isn't new to any of us. It's a really popular word these days. Even when I take my children to the pediatrician and they're three and two, they bring up about toddlers having anxiety. So I want us just to take a look at the definition of anxiety so that we can begin to really wrap our minds around what it is. And this is it. Anxiety is a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. Anxiety is a daily struggle for many people. We worry about ourselves, our health, our kids, our jobs, if we have enough money to pay our bills. If you can think about it, you can worry about it. But I do want to point out here that we are talking about anxiety, not clinical anxiety. I'm not a medical professional, and some people do need medical help with their anxiety in addition to the help we're going to talk about today. But according to the World Health Organization, this is a very fun one, Americans have a bigger problem with worry and stress than any other people in the world. That means that the most thriving society is actually the most worry-filled society. Many of us battle this chronic, ongoing, ever-present sense of worry that's destroying our peace and it's killing our joy. In fact, according to Barna Research, about 60% of adults in the United States struggle with worry and stress daily. That means that over half of us sitting here right now have some burden, some worry, some concern for someone that we love, something that we desperately want to change. It's in the front of our minds and we live in a state of worry. But why is it that so many of us find ourselves battling worry? At its core, it's because of our sinful nature. We are all born sinners, and so we tend to default to fear instead of faith. However, there's really good news for us because we don't have to have all the answers because someone already does. See, we live our lives moment by moment, but God sees the entire picture. It's like we're standing on a line. And we're standing right here on that line. And we know what already happened. We know what's happening right now. But we can't see what's going to happen the rest of the journey. But God does. And God is asking us to have faith and allow him in as we walk it out. Now, there's two words that we've brought up so far this morning. And that's worry and anxiety. These two things are related, but they're not exactly the same. So worry tends to be more focused on the thoughts in our heads while we experience anxiety in our bodies. So for example, I don't like bees. And I would guess that most of you don't either. But if a bee is near me, I move away from it. I start to get stressed, a little bit worried, and I move away from the bee. But once, once that bee is gone, my worry goes away. But let's pretend for a moment that I have anxiety about bees. I would look for bees every time I walked outside. If I saw a bee or heard a bee, I would immediately start to sweat. I would panic and a feeling of anxiety would come over me that I couldn't control. And that feeling would stay with me long after the bee is gone. And it could potentially, 
potentially impact my ability to function after that. The truth is that we can't worry and trust God at the same time. So we need to ask ourselves the question, do we want to worry or do we want to trust in God? This leads us to today's take-home point. And the take-home point is the one point that this entire message is about. It's the one point that we want you to take home this week and do your best to live out. And today's point is this. Anxiety causes us to doubt God will fulfill his promises to us. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus gives a very powerful, practical teaching on worry and anxiety. But before we dive in deeper to Jesus' teaching, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your son, Jesus. I thank you for his ministry that he had while he was here on earth. And I thank you for the Sermon on the Mount. I thank you for these lessons that he has given us to help us with our lives. And God, today I specifically thank you for the topic of worry and anxiety. I thank you for the advice that Jesus gave. And I pray, God, that it speaks so clearly to each of us, that our lives begin to be transformed from the inside out, and that we can ultimately give you our worries and anxieties, knowing that you are in control. We lift all of this up in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, Jesus said, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? In this verse, Jesus covers five of the biggest topics for worry in our lives. And all five of them begin with the letter F so we can recognize the things that we're worried about. So number one is our finances. For us to really understand this week's message, we need to take a look at last week's message that Pastor Chris gave. Jesus told us not to store up our treasures here on earth, but in heaven. Storing up our treasure on earth leads us to anxiety. Jesus tells us that we can't serve both God and money. And as a society, we think that we win when we have the most things. I have news for us. Someday we are all going to die. And when we die, all of those things will stay here. And if we have Jesus, if we know Jesus as Lord and Savior of our lives, we get to go to heaven. Now, Jesus didn't say don't store up any treasure. He just said don't store it in a place that will rest. Store it in things that will last for eternity. Treasure in heaven gives us security. No earthly thing can give us that kind of security. So Jesus started off by saying, don't worry so much about your finances. You can't love both God and money, so don't obsess about money. The second thing that we worry about is food. When Jesus was talking to this particular crowd, they probably would have worried about where their food came from because they didn't know how they were going to get their next meal. So Jesus doesn't want us to consume our lives on things that are temporary, but on things that are eternal. The third is fitness. Don't worry so much about your body. Don't fixate over your health. Jesus wants us to take care of ourselves. Our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit, and it should be a reflection of who Jesus is. But again, our body is temporary. Number four is 
fashion. Jesus listeners were not 21st century people that had access to Amazon and Target and two-hour delivery to your house. These people were first century Jews that had to make their clothing. So Jesus was saying, hey, don't worry about what you look like. Don't worry about you, what you wear. It doesn't matter. And number five is the future. We can't control the outcome of our future. We can make goals and we can do our best to achieve those goals, but if the end result is not God's plan, it simply won't happen. If it is God's plan, we can't stop it. But Jesus is saying, hey, I'm going to be with you. I know the end. Don't worry about it. What I love about Jesus is that he doesn't just tell us what to do because that's a little bit daunting if Jesus would just say like, hey, don't worry about your money or your clothes or your food or your future. No, he actually is going to tell us how not to worry. He says, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Jesus is showing us that God loves us way more than the birds, and the birds don't worry about whether or not they're going to have food to eat. If a bird is hungry, it will do something about it. This illustrates a really important difference between concern and worry. Concern focuses on challenges and it moves you to action. So for example, you may be concerned that your marriage is falling apart. So you, Take action and sign up for a marriage mentor here at New Life to help get your marriage back on track. You may be concerned that you gain some weight over the summer from eating too much ice cream or cookies or whatever that might be. So it moves you to action to change your eating habits. Worry focuses on what's beyond our control and it results in an action. So then Jesus said this about worry. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly father already knows all your needs. Worry and anxiety don't add a single minute to our lives. In fact, it robs us of experiencing the goodness of God in our daily lives. We can't enjoy the present moment if we are so worried about the future. Think about it. Has anything in your life ever gotten better because of your worry? No, it doesn't change anything. When you worry, nothing gets better, but your mental health actually gets worse. Doctors have even discovered that worry and anxiety are really bad for you. It, <laughs> it affects your relationships. It, impacts our work life, we can't eat, we're not sleeping. It affects everything that we do. Jesus told us 2,000 years ago that it wasn't good for us either, and the same is true today. Birds don't worry, but they also don't sit around doing 
nothing. They don't just like sit and wait for God to like drop a worm on its lap. No, they fly around, they eat the worm, or they find the worm, then they eat the worm, they build a nest, they go to sleep, and they do the same thing the next day. The bird doesn't worry about whether or not God is going to provide for it because he knows he will have everything that he needs. And if God is going to take care of the birds, how much more is he going to take care of you? When we worry, essentially what we're saying is, God, I don't trust you and I don't trust your plans. Pastor Craig Rochelle often says, what you worry about most reveals where you trust God the least. Let's read that again. What you worry about most reveals where you trust God the least. So take a moment and think about what that might be for you. You might be worried about your kids, that you lose your job, that you can't pay your bills this month, about a doctor's appointment you have coming up, maybe about your marriage. So what do we do when there's an area in our lives where we just can't fully trust God? How are we supposed to really trust him whenever that worry and anxiety begins to set in? Jesus tells us to seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. So whenever you're worried, panicked, whenever you don't know what to do, when that burden seems too heavy to bear, what do you do? You seek first God's kingdom. You seek first his righteousness. You seek his goodness, his presence, and he will give you the peace and he will provide you with everything you need. It's God first and everything else second. Now, sometimes what we need isn't everything that we want. But what we want isn't exactly what we need. But God has never stopped providing for you. And he won't as long as you keep seeking Jesus first. So where does your mind go when it drifts? Does it drift to the worst case scenario or does it drift to the things of God? The good news is, is acknowledging that God isn't first when worry and anxiety creeps into our minds is the first step to recovery. So we're going to talk about three different things that can happen with the very thing that you're worried about today. The first one, what you're worried about today, it may never happen. And that's the most common thing. What you're worried about today, it may never happen, but it will rob you of your peace 100% of the time. Last year, my family of four decided to take a family vacation to Hilton Head. And my husband, Jake, and I had this really great idea to drive through the night. And it's 11 hours away, but we thought, like, our kids sleep 12 hours, so we'll leave at 8 o'clock. They'll sleep the whole way. We'll get to the beach. We'll be tired, but they'll be so well-rested. Our expectation was not met. And my daughter, Shiloh, she was one at the time. She actually screamed 
10 out of 11 of those hours. And like when I say scream, like, you know, like that little baby scream when like their tongues are shaking and their face is red, it was that. And so the only way that she would stop crying is if I sat in between both car seats with like my arms like hovered over her with her head on my shoulder. And it wasn't like a cute, like mother-daughter bonding time. It wasn't that. And then I hear my husband laughing in the front seat and I'm like, what is going on? And I see he has an earbud in listen to, listening to comedians. So he can laugh while I'm sitting here with these kids crying. And so this upcoming year, when we were planning our drive to Hilton Head, I was really nervous about it. I was very anxious. And I was like, hey, Jake, I'm going to fly by myself. You can take the kids. Or I was like, OK, fine. We'll compromise. And I'll take Shiloh. You take Jackson. And he was like, I'm not doing that. So uh, we drove. And we made some adjustments to our travel plans, like we went traveled through the day. And I let them have that iPad the whole time. It was fine. All, all rules went out the window that day. But my daughter, she uh, learned how to talk this year. And she didn't watch the iPad. She talked for 11 out of the 11 hours. So what I was worried about never happened. Number two, what you're worried about today it may happen, but it won't be as bad as you thought. And how often does that happen to us when we're worried about something, it happens, and you look back at it and you're like, huh, that wasn't as bad as I thought. I was worried for nothing. <laughs> when my husband Jake and I started dating, I was a senior in high school, and he left for the Navy three months after we started dating. Every time that he was about to get a new duty, I was so anxious that he was going to get deployed. And three years in, he was deployed to the Persian Gulf. What I worried would happen, happened. It was hard, but it wasn't as bad as I thought. I had let my mind drift to the very worst case scenario, but it didn't happen. And I was anxious for nothing. And the third thing, what you're worried about today, it may happen, and God will carry you through it. Amen. It may happen, and it might even be worse than you think. But you also may experience God's presence and peace in a way that you never would have experienced before. When I was 12 years old, my grandpap was diagnosed with bone and lung cancer. And my grandpap was like the rock of our family. He was the funniest man you'd ever meet. We loved going and visiting him. And when we found out that he was sick, it was devastating for my family. And he had doctor appointment after doctor appointment, and every appointment just was bad news. And nine months later, my grandpa met Jesus. What we worried would happen, happened. And it was worse than we thought. But Jesus carried us through our grief. See, we get to know God best when we need him most. And some of you may be carrying a burden right now that really just seems too great to bear. But this may be an opportunity for you to take that care, take that relationship, take that concern, take the very thing that you dread and bring it to God and know that what you're worried about right now, it may never happen. It may happen and it won't be as bad as you thought or it may happen, and God will carry you through it just like he promised. If you're like me, things stress you out, and your first response is worry and concern. But let us take rest in knowing that he is God and we are not. 
But the best chance for us to live that is through the one who knows it all. So what can we do about it? The Apostle Paul gives us the answer to this question through the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul's life was radically changed when he started following Jesus. He went from hating Christians to starting churches. And one of the churches that Paul started was in Philippi. At the time, Paul had been arrested for sharing about Jesus. And he said something very powerful to the people in Philippi. But before I read it, I want us to just paint a picture of Paul's life right now. So Paul, he didn't know Jesus. Then his life was radically changed and he was transformed from the inside out when he started following Jesus. But his life wasn't easy. It was really hard. He went around telling everyone about Jesus and then he was arrested for it. He was put in jail, and while he was in jail, he was aging, he was going blind, and he had to have other people write his letters for him. He had no idea if he would live another day. Paul had every right to be anxious right here. But instead of being anxious, this is what he wrote to the people in Philippi. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Now the fact that Paul wrote this while he was in prison adds so much more weight to it. It's really easy for us to take advice from someone who has clearly been through things that would cause anxiety and worries than from someone who hasn't. So when Paul says this, it's really easy for us to perk up and listen to what he has to say. In those verses, Paul gave us steps to really help with our anxiety and go to God in peace. So step number one is to pray and ask God for help. Let's not do this and our power, because we can't, but we can do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. So what Paul is saying, the moment that an anxious thought enters your mind, stop and pray. That's what Jesus said too. He said, hey, seek first God's kingdom. To seek first God's kingdom, we need to go to God right away when that worry and anxiety sets in. So the moment that you think that, the moment a worry pops in your mind, stop and pray and ask God to help. Step number two is to be thankful for what God has done. When you're in the thick of a time that you're having a lot of anxiety and worries, it's really hard to remember what God has done in your life. So I want to encourage you, if you haven't done this already, is to have a notes list in your phone or get a notebook and write down all the things that you're thankful for that God has done in your life. And then when you go through times of anxiety and worry, you can take a look back at those notes and realize just how much God has carried you through your dark times. You can look back and say, hey, God really helped my child through this. God helped our bills get paid this month. Hey, God healed my marriage. He healed that relationship. So I want to encourage you to write those things down so you can be aware of what God has done. Because God didn't leave you then and he's not going to leave you in the future. And step number three is that we need to accept the peace that God offers. We must receive the gift of peace from God. He has never promised that life's going to be easy. It's not easy. 
And it wasn't easy for Paul either. Paul was in jail. Paul's in heaven now. Paul knew that what he was doing would last for eternity, so it was worth investing in. If we want help with our worries and our anxieties, let's live it out together in today's next step, which is, I will seek Jesus first when I feel anxious this week. God created us to love him and to enjoy his creation. But sin came into the world and we ended the reality of everything being perfect. Jesus is honest. That's one of the things that makes him God. So we can trust that what he said is true. And if we believe that, if we truly believe it, we don't need to have worries and anxieties if we seek first his kingdom. If we seek first his goodness and his righteousness, hey, we will have pain. We will suffer. We will experience disease. It is no fun to watch the people we love suffer. It's not fun to go through things ourselves. We will have trouble. But if we seek Jesus first, he will be there through it all. Scripture is very beautiful and it's powerful and it's personal. And it tells us just how much God really loves us. He loved us so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, who was perfect in any, every way. He gave his innocent, perfect life for us so that we could be forgiven. And when we put him first, God hears our prayers. He forgives our sins. And so whatever our worry is, God is there to take it. Jesus um, told us in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, he said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. See, Jesus, he's like asking us to go to him. He's asking us to seek him. He's asking us to go and bring him our worries, our concerns, our fears, because the truth is that he is the only one who can comfort us. The things of this world will never comfort us. It may be a temporary fix, but in the long run, it won't provide the comfort that Jesus can provide. But we can't give our anxieties over to God if Jesus isn't Lord and Savior of our lives. If he's not the one that we run to, if he's not the owner of our lives, we can't go to him. We can't fully release those anxieties over to him and live in peace. So if you've never accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that today. Because if we want to apply the things from today's message to our lives, that's the only way that it can happen. And here at New Life, we say that it's as easy as A, B, C. A is admit. We admit that we're sinners, that we need a Savior. We have all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. None of us are perfect. Only Jesus was perfect. We aren't. But B is believe. We believe that Jesus is Lord and Savior of our lives. We believe that he is who he says he is. We believe that Jesus lived on this earth for 33 years. At age 30, he started his ministry and it was incredible. He was teaching things just like this. To everyone, he was healing people. It was incredible, but people hated him for it. And when he was 33, he was crucified on a cross. And three days later, he rose from the dead. 
And C is confess. We confess that Jesus is Lord and Savior. And then we commit to following him through the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we do that, our lives are transformed from the inside out. He can take our worries. He can take our anxieties. We have peace knowing that he has it all. So if you've never accepted Jesus, I'm going to pray with you right now. And I'm going to pray as if I'm you. And you could say the same words as me or you could say that in your own way. But everyone, if you wouldn't mind, please bow your heads and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I'm not perfect. I admit that my life is messed up. And I believe that I need Jesus. I believe that Jesus is Lord and Savior of my life. I believe that he lived on this earth and that he died for me. And I believe that he rose again. And I commit that Jesus is Lord and Savior of my life. I commit to following him. I confess that Jesus is Lord and owner. And God, I pray for everyone here today. I pray that whatever our worries are, whatever our anxieties are, God, that we can just lay them at your feet. That you will give us the peace that surpasses all understanding. That when we don't know what's happening in our lives, what's going to happen the rest of the day or tomorrow, God, that we can rest in knowing that you are God and we are not. We lift all of this up in your precious son, Jesus' name. Amen.